okay, we are going to um, share the stage today and just kind of get into this. So we are continuing uh, our Holy Spirit series today titled Commingled. And so I'm going to get started with a couple of uh, a couple of different places here in Scripture. And the first one I want to take you to is Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. As the snow and rain that fall from heaven do not return until they have accomplished their purpose, soaking the earth and causing it to sprout with new life, providing seed to sow and bread to eat. So also will be the word that I speak. It does not return to me unfulfilled. My word performs my purpose and fulfills the mission I sent it out to accomplish. As we are talking today and going through this, that's an important thing to remember is that the words God speak, the words that Jesus spoke when he was here on earth, those things are not returning back to God empty. They're not released without fulfilling the purpose they were released to give. That's an important thing to remember as we go through this this morning. Do you want to pray? I do. <laughs> Let's do that. Okay. Would you guys stand with me? Let's pray. It feels like when, when it feels to me like there is chaos in the room, I know nothing better to do than to go straight to the throne room. Father, here we come. We are rushing the throne room right now. We want to be in your courts. We want to be up close and personal with you. First and foremost, we are sons and we are daughters. And we want our proximity to you to be in your face. Locking eyes with you. We're here for one purpose alone, and that is to magnify and make much of who you are. Right now, in our hearts and in our minds, we are lifting you high, high above every other thought that is trying to interfere. And we say to all interference, go. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're doing, getting us all on the same page, aligning us right now. We thank you for it. Just tell him thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for union. Thank you for oneness. Thank you for alignment. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, everybody say, that feels better. <laughs> It does feel better. Does everybody have their Bible? If you would, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to John 1. We're going to start right at verse 1. It says, In the very beginning, the living expression was already there, and the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. That was in the uh, Passion Translation. I also want to read that real quick in the Mirror uh, Translation. It says, To go back to the very beginning is to find the Word already present there face-to-face -face with God, the word is I am. God's eloquence echoes and concludes in him. The word equals God. This is another important piece and another important setup as we talk about commingled and, and what all is there. The word was already present there face-to-face -face with God. They were already together and, and commingled, already in union, in oneness. And that's where they started to talk about us, is in that oneness. And it says, the word is I am. Another important piece to remember as we talk about this is 
who you are. The nature of who you are is I am. You carry the very nature of your father. Right? You can't separate your nature from his. Right? You can't become something else. You can't become a cow. Right? I mean, that's just ridiculous thought. And it sounds ridiculous to even say. Because you're not of that nature. Right? You are of the nature of God, which means you are the I am. So it's an important thing to remember. And God's eloquence echoes and concludes in him. God's eloquence echoes and concludes in Jesus Christ. The, the full eloquence, the full glory of everything that God is echoes, it reverberates, it continues to come back and forth in who Jesus is. And it concludes with him as well, right? Everything was finished with him, which means we have completeness in him. If you flip over to John 17 in verse 20, this is Jesus praying. And he says, I ask, and I ask not only for these disciples, but also, you know what, let me jump over. I want to read this in the mirror because I think it captures better in here. He says, I do not pray for them exclusively but also for those who would come to believe in me because of their word, that they all may be one, exactly as you, Father, are mirrored in me and I in you, that they also will be exactly mirrored to be one in us. Then the entire world will believe and be persuaded about your mission upon my life, that they will be one exactly as Jesus and the Father are are mirrored together, we have that same thing in us. Don't miss out on that, okay? Verse 22, he says, And I, the incarnate word, have endued them with the same glorious esteem that you have given me so that their oneness may mirror ours. That word endued means to gift or to clothe. So he has gifted you. He has clothed you with the same glorious esteem that the Father gave to him. You're in oneness with him, right? This, this whole idea of commingled is, is set up here through Jesus' prayer, right? You get to have witness to that. He's telling us flat out that is what he's given to us. Goes on in verse 23, it says, I am in them as you are in me. And on this basis, their seamless oneness may be entirely concluded. Seamless. There is no, there's no end to it. You're not going to find where it starts and end because there, it, it's outside of time. And that's hard for us to comprehend. It's hard to comprehend being outside of time. Right? We have such a, 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 a link to it because we have in our minds a start and an end. But it doesn't actually work like that. It's seamless. And we have that seamless oneness with him. We have that seamless oneness with each other. It says, thus the world will acknowledge your commission upon my life and know that my love for them mirrors your love for me. Father, I desire that what you have given me in them, given me in them may cause them to be where I am so that they may see what I see and gaze attentively upon the splendor of my glory, which you have given me, which is also in you. Because you love me before the fall of the world, thus the world will be persuaded that your love for them was never compromised because of the fall you continue to love them the same. This is this one verse here, verse 24, it's, it is packed with so much, right? You can see, uh, gaze attentively upon the splendor of the glory which you have given to me, which is in you. This, this glorious splendor that was in Jesus that the Father put on him, 
you have inside of you. You have that inside. And because you love me before the fall of the world, thus the world will be persuaded that your love for them is never compromised. At the beginning of that verse, he says, what you have given me in them may cause them to be where I am. We talk about being co-seated. And that this is the reference right here that you could pull out and say that you're co-seated. He's telling you right there that you are. That's what he desired. He didn't, he didn't beg for it. He desired it. He spoke it out there. That's it. Right? That was his desire. That you could be where he was and see and gaze attentively. Are you seeing all that? Are you, are you seeing this glory when you look out? If you're not, it's as simple as uh, what Angie describes in repentance. It's just turning your face back to God. And that's simply what you need to do here is just simply look through his eyes. See the new creation all around you. If you start to see dirt, just brush that aside because that's not what we are called to see. That's not his desire for you. There's, there's a note down here that says the entire fall was a falling away in our own minds from our true identity as image and likeness bearers of Elohim. The entire fall was a falling away in our own minds from our true identity as image bearers and likeness. That's what I talked about a minute ago from John 1.1, the I am, your likeness. So in the fall, in our own minds, we separated ourselves from that likeness. That's not your reality. Your reality isn't separation. Your reality is commingled. It's oneness, union, right? You have the breath of I am coming out of you. It says, just like Eve, we were all deceived to believe a lie about ourselves, which is the fruit of the I am not tree. So when you're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're eating from the tree of I am not. Because I am not already like God, so I must eat of this tree to somehow bring myself into the desire that Jesus talked about here. Rather than just knowing that's who you are and that is your nature already. You don't have to do anything to get yourself into oneness. It's your gift. It's what he clothed you with. He endued that on you. That's really what I got to, to set up anything else there. And what a grand setup it was. <laughs> so good. We need, we need more space. Oh, are you? All right. <laughs> that was good. All right. Are you guys alive? Well, that's good because I can't speak to a dead crowd. It's just not possible for me. I want to jump off of what Vince was saying and, and, and take us somewhere. Can you, can you be ready to travel? We're going to go somewhere. Okay. Because I think that we are so settled in our separation. Guys, I like having this in the middle. This is just fun. <laughs> right. Why haven't we done this before? Anyway, um, we are so settled in separation that we have no idea how distanced we have created ourselves from God, right? We, when we think about being co-seated, how many of you in your imagination plant your little booty in your own throne? Ha, right? We all do this, but we are co-seated in Christ. So when you see this picture, I want you to see yourself in him. We have been brought in, in divisible. We talked about this last week and we are going there again because we need to understand what these words actually mean. I have pulled up 
three different words that we are probably not real familiar with, and I want to get into them. Indivisible is one, which means not divisible, right? Not separable into parts, incapable, everybody say incapable, of being divided. Incapable of being divided. Us in Christ means we are indivisible. Nothing can divide us. We know Paul talked about this, right? Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing, absolutely nothing, but we don't believe it because the first lie that comes our way, we're like, "Ah, separation, he doesn't like me. I must prove I'm good. I must do all the good so he sees me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. But if you would get your booty back in Christ, he'll see you all day long. It's when we separate ourselves from him and we, we, we think of ourselves as singular. Here I am in my own throne, co-seated. Aren't I cute? That's when we get, we get off base. It's in Christ. We are indivisible. And isn't it interesting to you, because it is to me, that this is part of our like national thing? What's it called? The Pledge of Allegiance? Isn't it interesting? One nation, indivisible. One nation, indivisible. Well, maybe if we would stop thinking like nationalists and start thinking like a body, we might actually become indivisible. The nationalism that has riddled our nation specifically is disgusting. And I'm quite sure that God is like, I've had enough of your nationalism. I have called you to be a body. We talk as Americans, we talk about freedom. We love liberty. But the problem is, is we refuse to be united. We are like inconsolable children throwing tantrums. We create us and them cultures every single time we enter into a political conversation. Well, they, well, if they, well, here is what I'm here to tell you today. If we would rise up and be the body of Christ, we might actually see what it is that the kingdom is after. The kingdom is prowling, guys. The kingdom is on the move. Are you in the kingdom? We have this whole separation mentality of in the sweet by and by, I'll make it to the kingdom. Oh, but when I die, then I'll be in heaven. Well, we miss out on the point where the Bible actually says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so I'm not sure why we're trying to get to something that's going to be passed away. It's kingdom now. So if you want to experience the heaven that's available now, get yourself into it. Right? Because it's going to pass away. The only way we're going to experience all of heaven, the kingdom of heaven in fullness, is if we choose to rightly align as an indivisible body. What Jesus did on the cross, yes, if you saw my post, I'm going to repeat it. What Jesus did on the cross, he was the sin collector, right? We know that. We agree with that. We're like, thank you. Thank you. You have made me clean. I am pure, right? We can agree with that. But what we fail to see is that he was also giving birth to new creation. When his side was pierced, the membranes that held new creation was also pierced, broke forth blood and water and new creation. The motto of new creation is all things in common. All things in common. And friends, this doesn't mean we're sharing eggs as neighbors. We get stuck in these meaningless things. I mean, if I need an egg, that's not meaningless. But listen, by and large, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that they just created meals together, you know, to nourish just their bodies. They were nourishing the body. They had all things in common so they could nourish the body of Christ. They held the body of Christ in high esteem because the Lamb of God is worthy to receive the reward of his sufferings. He's worthy. So they held the entire body in high esteem. I must nourish this thing. I will give up everything to pour nourishment into the body. 
Commingling isn't actually even enough. I just, it's just something I made up along the way. I thought it was in my Bible, but it's not. But it, it's more than that because to mingle just kind of makes me feel like, okay, we're just like, you know, we're just existing. We're just sharing space. It's more than that. We are indivisible. Here's another word. Indissoluble. Incapable of being dissolved, decomposed, undone, or destroyed. Don't you love these words? Indissoluble, incapable of being dissolved, decomposed, undone, or destroyed. If you're in Christ, get back in. Right? When we separate, when we pull away and we're like, yeah, I got this. I'm going to do this on my own, my own way. We're saying no to the invitation to be in. Right? Let's just get back in. Just get back in where where we belong. We belong in him. Um, it also means firm or stable, perpetually binding and obligatory. Perpetually binding. There's no end. There's no end to this binding that's taking place. Every time I make a decision to turn and face and to lock eyes with Jesus, right? Repentance, right? And it's his kindness that causes us to do that, to turn and face. Every time a binding is taking place. We need our minds bound to the mind of Christ and our hearts so that we know which way we're going. So that when he says, this is who you are in this season, we just make agreement and we go. No more of this, like, yeah, I'll get to it. We just make agreement and we go, right? Because we have become him and he has become us. We're in full agreement, right? Next word, undissembled means no pretending and undisguised. No pretending and undisguised. There will be a vocabulary test at the end. I hope you're taking notes. undissembled, no pretending, and undisguised. See, here's the deal. We're great pretenders. We show up in our assemblies masked because we don't want anyone to see what's really going on. And this isn't working for us, is it? I mean, really, how's this working for us? That we show up and we put on a show They had all things in common. They gathered together to do life, real life together. They had all things in common. Which means when they gathered together, there was honesty flowing. They knew what was happening in one another's life. They could detect the deficit and they would cover. Right? And that's what you and I should be doing. We should be gathering together and I can see where there is an experience with the father missing and I have the keys to that. And I'm going to unlock that because I can see that what's missing from your experience with the father is this. And I'm going to pour that into you. See, what needs to become priority for us is that we experience together the fullness of Christ, which means there's a little bit of pressure on you because now you're accountable to be with the father on a regular basis so that when we assemble, I can pull from what it is that he has poured into you. There's a requirement on it. We're lazy. We are. We're lazy Christians. Lazy Christians. You guys know full well that, that Pepper threw a baby shower on Pentecost Sunday. Baby shower for what, you might be asking. Pepper just came to me and said, I feel like unedited life is about to be birthed. Unedited life is about to be birthed. She sent me another message last night, and she's like, Angie, I think it's time to push. (laughs) Okay, listen, I love getting messages from Pepper. (laughs) Because every one of them are just like full and exciting. 
there's just an exhilaration that are on these messages and they cause me to, to have to raise my mentality to be where she's at. She's, she's got an intercessions gifting. She has an anointing to intercede. And then she's got this nasty prophetic gifting, right? And so right now as a body, whether you know it or not, we are leaning in to what it is that Pepper carries. Do you see what's happening? There is a, an end of visibility that's happening because of what Pepper is carrying, right? That was just an example. Does that make sense? Okay, I want to go to um, to Acts 2.44. Here we go. We're going to read about the church. And before you start thinking that this, yes, well, you see, Angie, this was just for the first church. You're wrong. This was just the starting line. We've just failed to carry the baton. Because we like our us and them culture. We love to sit on our little throne of judgment and make decisions based on our small knowledge of all things. This was just the starting line, and I love what this says. We're in verse 42. We are Acts 2, 42. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another. Don't you love this language? Their hearts were mutually linked to one another. You could easily insert the word indivisible, right? Like you could see how that fits. They were indivisible. Sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body. Say one body. And they shared with one another whatever they had. Again, we aren't just talking about meals. I'm not sure how this part of scripture became about meals. Anybody else saw it that way? Anyone? Anyone? Just me? Okay. That's how I've always seen it. That's how it's been taught. They shared meals together. They shared everything. The thing is, guys, is that they, they changed their mentality from mine, mine, mine. How many of you love finding it? Mine, 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 right? To ours. That they, they started viewing their own possession possessions as ours. That's kingdom, right? When we bring people into the knowledge of the kingdom, we're saying, come into what I have, right? Now, see, this is something that people can operate in an anointing that they are, they're just natural givers. They have an anointing for this kind of thing. Robin and John, this is, this is an anointing that they just possess. It's an oil that's in them that just leaks out. There is not a thing in their possession that they're not like, oh, do you need this? Right? I mean, Robin is the only person that I know that has been prophesied over her. Don't give the barn away. Right? Like God is having to warn her. Now listen, you do actually have to keep some things for the stability of your family, honey. Right? I love you. <laughs> but that's, that's what it means to be kingdom people. Is that we have all things in common and we stop this selfishness of seeing things as mine. We see a need and we quickly fill it. Right? But we see where there's an expression of the Father missing. And we want to fill it. Yes? Hey, stay with me. Okay, we're going to, oh wait, no, I need to finish reading this. We're in 45. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Can you imagine? You guys, like, land was a big deal in these days. Land, to be a land owner was a big deal in these days. It wasn't like, oh, I bought property. It was a big deal. This was inheritance. We talked about this a little bit last week, didn't we, with the, the threshing floor? Yes, with the story of Ruth 
and, and how land was kind of a big deal. And the guy who was next in line, he's like, hey, there's some land that's available. You want it? Heck yes. He didn't want the treasure, though. He wanted the inheritance, not the treasure. Land was a big deal. And these people were giving up their inheritance for the treasure. Please see this. Please see this. The treasure is the body doing life together, being indivisible. That's the treasure. Are you willing to give up the inheritance that came from your earthly means for the treasure? That's the big question. They sold things. They sold land to make sure that everyone had what they needed. That, we are so far from that. Thank you, Jesus, that there is supernatural power. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Interesting words, right? He kept increasing them. By means of those who were coming to life, those who were brought into the revelation of kingdom, of oneness. And I love it that it says that they met together on a regular basis and they were filled with praises. Oh, what? They didn't have to conjure up praises? Interesting. So even... Even praises are given when we meet together. When we see ourselves as one body, even praises fill our being. You you want a new sound? You want a new song? Don't forsake meeting together. It's important. Let's flip over to the next time that this is all talked about. It's in Acts 4, and we're going to start in verse 32. No, we're not. We're going to start in verse 29. Sorry, John. (laughs) Empower us as your servants. Well, let me just give you some background here. The boys have just been arrested and released. Okay. And, and, And all through Acts, you know, it's not like their life was cush, right? They're being arrested for uttering the name Jesus. They're, listen, they're being arrested for healing people. Right? I mean, that's what they're up against. But they didn't hide, right? They didn't hide. They didn't put on disguises. They stayed as one. Right? Okay. Empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. Wow, what a prayer. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. What a prayer. They were already doing this. They were already doing this. Why are they going back to what they already have? Because they added numbers. Cause us all to courageously speak your name. Cause us all to flow in healing power, no matter what it is that we're doing. You're driving an ambulance around? So what? People get healed. Oh, wouldn't it be fun if people got healed just by the sound of your sirens? That just popped into my imagination, so it's got to be God. (laughs) That's so fun. Okay. That threw me way off track. (laughs) So it's because they added numbers. Now listen to this. At that moment, the earth shook beneath them, causing the building they were in to tremble. Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. Who's ready for that? See, the power of Holy Spirit hasn't gone anywhere. He's just bored. Right? And, and, and what, what draws Holy Spirit and the power therein is union. Because those disciples, those big wig boys who just got done healing the blind man, they were willing to stoop low to the very level of those that were just added. 
They were not pompous, they were not arrogant, and they were not the it men. They lay their microphone down, stooped low, and said, God, make us courageous to speak your name and give us the power to heal everyone we come into contact with. Are we willing to do that? Not in our professional Christianity, we're not. We love to lord over one another what we know. I, 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 me, me, me. How about we drop that for we? Let's become people who are obsessed with we. We did this. We, we need a better idea of what it means to be family. Let's keep reading. I mean, gosh, guys, the whole building shook. How terrifying. <gasps> That's terrifying. But they were filled. They were filled with power. Amazing. That's amazing. Okay. All the believers, all of them, were one in mind and heart. Get this. Selfishness was not a part of their community, for they shared everything they had with one another. The apostles, the apostles, Ooh, that's a whole new name, the Apostles. The Apostles gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great measures of grace rested upon them all. Some who owned houses or land sold them and brought the proceeds before the Apostles to distribute to those without. Not a single person among them was needy. Do you know in Isaiah 58, he lay, God lays out this entire litany of like, I'm sick of your way of fasting. I don't care about you eating or not. What I care about is are you building union with everyone around you? Are you caring for those who have not? That's what he's interested in. Okay, not a single person among them was needy. For example, there was a Levite from Cyprus named Joseph who sold his farmland and placed the proceeds at the feet of the apostles, and they nicknamed him Barnabas, which means encourager. He sold his land. This, he probably was a he was probably a new a new member to the whole, right? He was probably just freshly added, and the inspiration on his life was. I got to be all in. I got to go all in. You guys, what we're struggling with right now is getting off the benches. We're struggling with actually getting in the game of believing that we are anointed, that we are who he says that we are. Not these people. They believed instantly and they went and did great things like selling their land and coming and laying it before the feet of the apostles. Wow. I'm really, I'm, I'm undone and I'm wowed. I think this is wonder and awe. Yes. Okay. The story that follows this isn't so sweet. We're in five, Acts five. Now, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira likewise sold their farm. They conspired to secretly keep back for themselves a portion of the proceeds. So when Ananias brought the money to the apostles, it was only a portion of the entire sale. God revealed their secret to Peter. So he said to him, Ananias, why did you let Satan fill your heart and make you think you could lie to the Holy Spirit? You only pretended to give it all. Yet you hid back part of the proceeds from the sale of your property to keep for yourselves. Before you sold it, wasn't it yours to sell or keep? And after you sold it, wasn't the money entirely at your disposal? How could you plot such a thing in your heart? You haven't lied to people. You've lied to God. Now, this story isn't about land. The story is still about union. Ananias and Sapphira could have done whatever they wanted with the proceeds from the land. They could have done whatever they wanted. But they chose to disrespect union. 
see, we, we think, we don't think highly enough of oneness, of what it is that God and his intention was it, with new creation life. His intention was oneness, that we would be together, that we would have these things happening, that we would gather together and have all things in common, and suddenly the building starts to shake. That's, that's, that's his, his intention. But what Ananias and Sapphira were willing to do was disrespectful to the union. There, there, it's, it's seamless. I love what Vince said. It, it's a seamless union. But Ananias and Sapphira created scenes. And this was their very beginning of division. The very beginning of being divisive. They went their own way. They were like, we're pretenders. And unfortunately, there's not room for pretenders under the holy anointing of oneness. There's not room for pretenders. I, no, I'm not going to. I, I, I was tempted just now. I was tempted. I was tempted to kind of take the heat off of that, but I'm not going to because I think that it's appropriate that we understand where it is that we're going. God is serious about union right now. He is serious about it. We have to stop seeing things our own way. We have to stop being bratty about our own agendas. Are you willing to let your knowledge go for the greater good? Right? That's a big question. We know how the story ends. Ananias and Sapphira die. This story has bothered me my entire life. I'm like, Huh? I don't get it. We watched, we can, we can read David's life. He screwed up royally. Right? But David's, David's existence wasn't under union. David's existence was under me and my father. Right? It's different. And he was quick to turn, quick to turn and look. But Ananias and Sapphira were under a different anointing. For crying out loud, the building just shook with the power of Holy Spirit that was filling those people. And they still went their separate way. So there's a cost, right? There's a cost. We talked about the story of David in, in 2 Kings, the last chapter in 2 Kings, I think is 24, um, where he... He messed up royally and did the whole census thing. And God was like, boy, what you doing? And, and there was 70,000 men that paid the price for David's decision. And God said, go and build an altar. But do you remember how he, how he got the altar? He went to the threshing floor and he was like, I, I need to buy your altar. And the guy was like, no, you just take it. He knew he was the king. No, you just take it. And he's like, I will not build an altar for my Lord without cost. And that's my commission to us. Do not build an altar to the Lord without cost. This is going to cost us something. This is going to cost us our comfort in the evenings, Monday through Saturday. Your tables need to be filled because listen, in let's go there. In Psalm 23, let's just look, okay? This is really important. Psalm 23. Nobody's going to say what? Inside joke. Um, Psalm 23. You become my delicious feast even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of, of you until you my heart overflows. Here's a translation that you probably better understand. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Table seems to be a big deal to God. And I know, I know that what he's saying right now is I'm resurrecting the table. I'm resurrecting the table. Most of us don't even sit around our dinner table as a family anymore. But what God was showing me is that the table represents so much more than a meal. 
just like having all things in common and sharing all that we have is more than just a meal. When you sit around a table and you take the time to fellowship as a family, you learn things about one another. Ooh, even when we start getting a little like elbowy, we're like, eh, you crossed my line. We learn things about one another. Or maybe, maybe you play games around the table. You can learn a whole lot about somebody by playing games around the table, right, Christy? Not calling anyone out. But anything that happens around the table is authentic fellowship because you can only fake it for so long. He's resurrecting the table because he wants an authentic community. He's after authentic fellowship where we begin to see one another in the same light as we see ourselves. We begin to see the needs that are on one another's lives and we're like, oh, I have that. Oh, here, you need that? Okay, here. And I'm not just talking on a possessive level. I am talking on a spiritual level too. Because if you are someone, let's just say you're savvy with finances. Not everybody is. What you have is actually dispensable. We need to start doing something with our anointing because it's just sitting stagnant inside of us and I'm kind of sick of it. I'm sick of it. Stop. You are hoarding anointing when there is a whole world of people that need what you have. So stop playing it safe and get out there and do something. We'll get to the selling our possessions, but let's do something with the anointing. Right? We know because we've talked about it that it's the anointing that breaks the bonds, right? We've talked about this. It's the anointing that breaks the bonds. And that is not me praying over somebody else. Oh, your bonds will be broken by my anointing. No, that's you releasing the anointing on your life that breaks the bonds off of your life and frees you from what holds you. If we're not doing anything with our anointing, we're just sitting in an open prison cell waiting. Guys, let's get up and get going. Let's allow him to break us open so that we can become substance. We have to. We have to. We, we, we even create out of our Bibles. I don't know how we've done this, but we've even taken biblical passages and we're like, the world, I can't be of the world. That's not what that scripture is saying. The world is ours to impress upon. We need the world for our, we are like the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you've got anointing in you, you are like the Holy Spirit and you are brooding. You are hovering over something to bring form and fullness to it. Yes. That's who we are. We're just like him. And my Bible actually tells me that Jesus is the desire of the nations. And you can exchange that word nations with world. Jesus is the desire of the world, but you haven't rightly put him on display. I promise you that when we begin to practice oneness, when we begin to invite one another over for dinner and share life together, we are going to see numbers added on a regular basis just because we're willing to do life together. Way back when John and I were first married, and um, I think I was even just pregnant with Dylan, um, that we had gotten a new, no, I had several kids by then. Hold on, let my mind catch up. Okay, Autumn had just been born. Oh, yes. And we got a new pastor. And, and we had been in this time of not having a full-time pastor. We had a lovely gentleman that would come down from Lincoln every Sunday. He would do his church Sunday morning in Lincoln, and then he would drive down here to do church with us on Sunday night. And we absolutely loved him. And so then there was word that we were getting a, a pastor and, and he and his family were moving from Tucson, Arizona. And during the first couple of years of him being there, we experienced something like this where we, you guys, we didn't wait for some six week appropriate time of somebody being in the church before we actually extended an invitation to them. 
it was like someone new walked through the door and we were competing to see who could get to the people first to invite them over for dinner or lunch, whatever it was. Some of my closest friends are my closest friends because we were bound together through meals on a regular basis. And we've been through hell together. But they continue to be my closest friends because we have history. We have a binding that took place over meals shared together. This oneness is a big deal. It's holy. And my challenge for us is that this week, invite somebody over for dinner, lunch, breakfast, I don't care, whatever it is, midnight snack. Don't call me for that. I'll be sleeping. Reach out. Have dinner together because he's resurrecting the table. It's time. It's time for us to step into the all things in common. It's like an anthem. Can it become our anthem? It's the anthem of new creation. All things in common. And it starts with a meal. Okay, stand up. Let's pray. Oh, Father. We just thank you for the table. We thank you that it's a space that is, is absolutely incredible. Not only is everything that we need provided for at your table, but there's a sense of belonging that is just in the air when we sit down at your table. We find out who we are when we sit down at your table. And Father, right now, I am asking for an increase of anointing to fellowship, deep, intimate, authentic fellowship. God, we want these encounters. We want these encounters with one another and with you. And we recognize that the only way we're going to live in fullness as a full expression of who you are is to engage in oneness. And we want the building shaking encounters. I have no idea what I'm asking for. I admit. But I know that that's what's on your heart is you're after a people who will say, shake this house. We want what you have for us. And God, right now we're saying, yes, we will pay the cost. We love being yours. I love feasting at your table. We're saying yes to union. Amen.